0: First of all, we are very grateful that I'm not that I'm not to I'm have made it available uh, for this uh, set of presentations. Uh, we also want to thank the, uh, the uh, brothers and sisters from the the UMIS, uh, organization of Copenhagen, and also the brothers from uh, Kind Islam, for the very hard work in uh, coordinating this uh, this set of uh, lectures that we have done in Copenhagen and also in Europe. City, we also want to thank the, uh, the cooperation of the local masjids, um, uh, the elders, and uh, students of knowledge, scholars of the area, uh, for their moral support for what we are doing. We want to thank the brothers and sisters, uh, the local brothers and sisters, for the hard work which they have done and for the money they have spent to come here to support this uh, program also. And we also, we, we want to thank uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the uh, members of the media who might be here incognito. <clears throat> we always welcome the media, whether pro or con. This is a free country, and everybody has a right to, uh, to have their opinions. But just as it would be expected of us living in this country, to be aware of the Constitution of the country and to obey the law. We tell the media also it's only fair that all these years you're talking about Islam, if you didn't read the Qur'an and you didn't look to the life of the Prophet we think that is very unethical. (laughs) Uh, We want to thank the non-Muslims who might be here, whether there's one or two or many of them. Uh, And to be very frank, about the matter. Uh, if there are any non-Muslims here, uh, we pray to Allah ta'ala that our behavior, and that our message, uh, that it touches you uh, in a positive way. Uh, we don't expect non-Muslims to agree with everything that we say. Uh, we don't agree also with everything we find in the non-Muslim countries. But we use what we feel is good. Uh, and we tolerate the rest. So we ask the non-Muslims to be patient. We don't expect you to agree with everything that we say, uh, but to express uh, tolerance for what you disagree with. Uh, It is the responsibility of Muslims to uh, present Islam, uh, not simply in a historical capacity, not simply from uh, a point of, uh, of doctrine, But you need to present Islam within the context of the society that you live in. I mean, it's beautiful to tell everybody that Islam is based on the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It is. Those are the sources. But we have to bring the sources of Islam, the Qur'an and the Sunnah, and we have to bring it within the context of the real circumstances of the society that we live in. Otherwise, we are off the page. We're out of touch. We're inconsistent, and people cannot appreciate it. You can't keep pointing to the past and to the people in the past and saying that this is our reference, this is our reference. That's real good to say that's the reference. But people want to know how does Islam fit here and now, whether in America, whether in Europe, whether in Australia, or anywhere else in the Western world, people want to know where does Islam fit today and now. And what. don't keep talking about what Muslims used to do. We used to have our civilization, we used to have Khalifa, we used to this, we used to that. It's not good enough. It's about what you're contributing now, today. What are you contributing for the future? That's what the world really wants to know and that's what we are obligated as Muslims to do. we got to show the relevancy of Islam and that's the nature of our discussion today. Now, let me make a couple of things clear you know, that might not be clear. Because you know, even among the Muslims, we got a lot of haters. You know, Muslim police. <laughs> You know, Muslim critics. You know, Muslims is professional critics on the Muslims. But they're not critics on their own behavior or on their families or on their own neighborhoods. So let me just address a couple of things because, you know, I know there's people sitting in the audience, got a lot to say, especially in the hallways and outside. Got a lot to say. You never say it in people's face, but you say in the hallways. You say behind computers at night. You say on the phone, you wait till you get on the outside and you say, you say like, you know, you're authority on something. You know, so somebody asked, why the shit is dressed in a suit? Well, the first thing I say is none of your business. (laughs) That's the first thing. But to put it in another context, okay, I travel all over the world. And to be very frank with you, as a courtesy to non-Muslims, in airports, planes, trains, wherever it is I'm traveling, I don't want to be dressed and hooked up looking like Osama bin Laden. Guhafra Allahu <laughs> la May Allah have mercy upon him and accept his prayers, accept his good deeds. So I don't want to be walking around the world necessarily looking like I just came out of the desert, or the jungle, or the mountain, or wherever Muslims live. I love Whatever the Muslims love. Their dress, their culture, their food, all of that. I love the swimming of the Prophet which he adopted from the Arab people. And I love his modesty. I love his behavior. To the best of my ability, I try to wear that, appreciate that. But that doesn't mean I got to get on the plane, I got to go everywhere I go. I'm in the operating room, I'm in the classroom, I'm in the restaurant, I'm in the kitchen, I'm cooking. I got to have on a turban and a long thobe and a stick. No. I wear what I wear according to the time, and the place, and the circumstance. And if you don't like it, I just go back to the first thing. It's part of being a good Muslim to mind your business. Having said that, then some people want to know. And they they mean it's okay. Shay, where you went to school at? Well, I learned under a tree. From country to country, that's where I learned. I spent a little bit of time in Saudi Arabia, Mecca, Medina, my main scholar teacher is there, but I got a little bit from him. I sat here and there with different scholars, students of knowledge, I got a little bit from them. And today, I don't need a lot of big knowledge, classic knowledge, because whatever I don't have, I can pick up the phone, I can get on the computer, And the people who got it, they can give me the evidence that I need, whether it is a fatwa or it is ahkam or whatever it is that I need, explanation, tafsir, and I trust them and I rely upon them for whatever I cannot get or extract from the Ummahatul Qutb. So those who graduated from somewhere, beautiful, use what you got. Let it show in your behavior. But the companions of the Prophet the major ones, 64, 65, 66 companions of the Prophet they didn't learn in an institution. They learned directly from each other, from the Prophet from the tabi'in from the Atba'a tabi'in They learned and they took it from wherever they could take it from. May Allah bless them that they were in close proximity to the Prophet may Allah bless them that the tabi'in was in close proximity to the Sahaba, the Ashab of Rasulullah. May Allah bless them, that those who was atba'a tabi'een, they was in close proximity to the tabi'een. May Allah bless them for that. That's our reference. That's the generation that we use. And after that, every Muslim got it from wherever they could get it from. That's what Allah tells us to do. <laughs> so, if there's people here, who feel that what I have to say is illegitimate and uncertified because I didn't graduate from anywhere, okay, then after I finish doing my talk, you just take it, wrap it up, and throw it in the trash on your way out the door. It's no problem. So it's okay. You don't have to take it from me. You can take it from wherever you want to take it from. So <clears throat> having said that, these are kind of like disclaimers. You know, to put a couple of things straight. The other thing is some brothers and sisters they go a little bit above, you know, they be praising people, personalities, putting them where they don't belong at. So, you know, on the internet and other places, people just constantly say, Sheikh College, I've seen a scholar from America. I didn't ever tell nobody that. I didn't call myself a scholar. Doesn't say that on my business card. And the, and the homeboys, the Homeland Security, when they ask me what I do. Generally, I lecture at universities. That's what I. That's what I prefer. I lecture in mosques, schools, but generally I lecture at universities. Why? Because the universities, wherever they are in the world, they are neutral platforms. Neutral. The faculty is there, the administration is there, the general community is accessible there, the students are there, so it's a neutral place. That's why I like to lecture there. And secondly, lecturing at universities, you have the good prospect of reaching non-Muslims. But if you lecture in Masjid, you know, you're not gonna see too many non-Muslims there. So, I hope that uh, those disclaimers uh, will explain a few things, and I wanna go right into the subject this evening. And uh, what I wanna talk about is the challenges facing Muslims living in the modern society. This lecture Now this particular lecture I have delivered um, probably in some 12, 13, 14 different countries. Um, I don't know how many times. So this is not a brand new lecture. It's a lecture I've delivered before. Uh, So I'm just gonna warm it up. You know, like some, some real good Harira. That's like some Moroccan soup. Or some real good Somali tea. I'm just going to warm it up, because what's good is good. You don't need to make nothing brand new. If you already got it, just warm it up. So I'm just going to give this presentation, as I have given it before, within the context of the time, and shall I just ask for your patience. Tonight I would like to speak about the subject that is, in my opinion, one of the most important issues for us to consider. It's an issue that surrounds us, sustains us, Yet many of us go through our entire lives without ever giving any serious thought or consideration. It's not a sophisticated issue, nor one that requires technical knowledge like the water we drink and the air that we breathe. Most of us will not address this issue until the lack of it threatens our lives or our personal welfare. The issue that I want to talk about tonight is the community that we live in. I'm not talking about the Muslim community we live in. I'm talking about the general community that we live in. The community that we share with neighbors and colleagues and co-workers. I'm talking about the society that you live in, a society that welcomed you, a society that gives to you, a society that provides resources, material and human resources to give you services, a sense of empowerment, This is not a sophisticated issue. It's not a philosophical issue. And it's not one that really requires a lot of technical knowledge. As a result of fiber optics and telecommunications, the world that we live in has become a global village or a global community. Yet we cannot escape or deny the realities and the dynamics of the local community. And what I mean by that is that if we were not um, watching TV, or radio, or reading newspapers, or using the internet, or the big screen TVs, or our telephones, 60% of the things that we are concerned about, we wouldn't even know about it. And maybe that itself is a challenge, being overloaded with so much information from somewhere else that you cannot take care of what is next to you. You need to take care of ourselves. Look to ourselves. Get up in the morning before you check your email, you know, before you get on the phone talking to people. Get up in the morning and look in the mirror and check yourself. See what you did yesterday. Ask yourself, well, you should know if you did or not. Ask yourself why you didn't get up and make the Ask yourself, where are your children? Ask yourself, what are you going to do the rest of the day? What's your plan for today? Examine yourself. After that, examine your family. Check your house. Go inside the rooms of your house. See what needs to be washed and fixed and organized and cleaned. These are like simple things before you check your email, before you get on the phone, before you start turning on the TV and see the news, before you start talking to people about other things that's going on. As a result of fiber optics and telecommunications, the world has become a global community. Yet we should not escape, and we cannot escape or deny, the realities and the dynamics of the local community. before our Prophet passed away he was on his deathbed and he was coming in and out you know of a, like a coma of consciousness and every time he came out of consciousness Gabriel alayhis was reminding him about the neighbors the neighbor and the prophet wasallam, he thought perhaps the neighbor would take something from whatever he might Possess, would inherit something from him. Although we know that people, no one inherits from a prophet. But he was thinking to himself, why did alayhi keep telling him about the neighbor? Because the prophet said wanted us, who are living and well, he wanted us to be conscious of the heart of the neighbor, our neighbors, colleagues, co-workers, neighbors students faculty business people that we interact with every day they have haq they have a right to our good behavior and so if allah was reminded of the prophet Hassan at the end of his life and therefore the prophet Hassan warned us about the rights of the neighbor that's your local community if you really want to know about a person Forget about what they say about him in a magazine. Forget about all the hand clapping that people make about him and we say he's this, he's that. No, go to his or her neighborhood and ask their neighbor about them. Then you're going to know something. From the macro to the micro, that means from the large to the small, our lives are connected and intertwined by the community that's around us. It is the intention or the neglect of it that will inevitably determine the actual quality of our lives. Sometimes we are so preoccupied with our personal acquisitions, our personal interests, and our individual attainment that we cannot see beyond ourselves. We can't see beyond our culture. We can't see beyond our family. We can't see beyond our own particular religious views. We failed to see the connection or the impact that a homeless man or woman have on our lives when we pass them in the streets. We fail to make the connection or understand the impact on our lives of the homeless, the wayward, the frustrated, the disadvantaged, the young people Some of them, because of lack of guidance and anger, in the jail. And we should be real about this. That many of our younger brothers, young Muslims, holding Qur'an, they're in the jail. While the students of knowledge arguing about madhab, akidah, the fathers is insisting on praying behind who they think need to be prayed behind, and they safe inside their little cultural masjids. In the city where I live, Seattle, Washington, when I visit the jails, I find a lot of young Muslims in the jails. How they wind up in the jail? Because there's a generation gap. The masjids is generally for the older people, and the streets is for the younger people. And we didn't make the masjids attractive for the young people. And then we blame them because they don't come to the masjid and they don't stay when they do come. We fail to make the connection or understand the impact on our lives the homeless, the wayward, the youth, the disadvantaged, the fatherless the poverty-stricken people, the confused, and the frustrated people. We do no time for them. We're so busy profiling with the Sunnah on the outside, criticizing, segregating ourselves, blaming people, talking about dirty kafirs. You know, I hear this all the time. Brother said, we don't have to be listening to no dirty kafirs. You know, we don't obey no dirty kafirs. Okay, so whose passport you got? Give the passport back and go back to where you think it's clean. Don't take dirty money from the hands of the non-Muslims if you think they're dirty. Don't live in the houses that the dirty government that you want to call them have provided for you and your children and your wives in many cases don't take the welfare check y'all feel what I'm saying brothers you know what that is so don't eat from the dirty hand so don't be a munafi don't be double standard don't be calling the non-muslims dirty the Prophet didn't do that Maybe some of them, and some of us, we are like that. And we need to speak about that where it applies. But don't be talking about the government and how corrupt they are, but you yourself is still drinking from the breast of the government. So let's be fair, let's be ethical, let's be truthful about the matter. We fail to understand and therefore to emphasize and empathize with this segment of the society. We fail to realize that they will more than likely become one of the statistics of alcoholism, drug addiction, violent crime, juvenile delinquency, prostitution, and other dysfunctional behavior. We usually don't take notice until one of our own family members becomes one of those statistics. See. What do we care about a homeless lady in the street? What do we care about a homeless man in the street? What do we care about the the kids that's out in the street with guns until you go to Copenhagen and you see that just this past week, young Muslims shooting other Muslims in the street? Now we're all of a sudden, we're concerned about young people. But we're not concerned about those same young people who gave dower to our young people and brought them out into the street. Suddenly we realize that regardless of our status or our cultivated stations in life, we are all part of a greater community. And if we want to improve the quality of our lives, we have to certainly have to improve the quality of the community. When the messenger of Allah made his hijrah, By the permission of Allah, he made Hijrah from Mecca to Medina. When he arrived in Medina, he didn't isolate himself. He didn't tell the Muslims to go to a corner of Medina and stay there. He didn't build his masjid and segregate it from non Muslims. The Prophet's masjid was open. Christians and Jews and uh, Bedouins, they were welcome to come to his masjid and seek nasiha from him. And when the Prophet ﷺ first gave his first order, his first order to socialize and integrate with the people of Medina, he said, wa man arafta wa man This was one of the orders he gave. You see, this is not the religious order. It's the issue of courtesy. Give food. He's telling the Muslims, "Go and give food. Open up your houses and invite the people for food. And when the people invite you, go to them and eat with them. and give good greetings to those whom you know and who you don't know. Okay, of course, if you know a person Muslim, as alaykum, wa alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. But if a non-Muslim says to you, How are you? How do you feel? Salam, peace. We can say to them, Salam, peace. But we can say specifically, Man ittaba'a al-huda. Peace be upon those who follow the guidance. But we should have good words to say to the people. We should not leave from our home, and come back to our home screw face. Screw face, you know what that means, right? Frowning. You know, Muslim frowning, I mean, you know, we so righteous and you know we just you know everybody we looking at we checking in. You know, you know what you talking look you looking at me for? What we be talking, don't be waving your hand at me. You don't know me. I'm Muslim. And then you know, once a year we think we're doing the, the people a favor. We have what's called open open house day for the masjid. Check that out. This is the house of Allah. And we're living in the community with the people. And we're going to open the doors one day, and then we're going to invite them to come to the masjid, and we want them to take shahada. I don't really think so. So we need to check our behavior. We need to check our attitudes and how we're dealing with the people because our Prophet saw he wasn't like that. The non-Muslims used to be attracted to the Prophet because he was smiling at them. (coughs) He was patient with them. He was remembering their names and he was waving at them and greeting them and calling them by their names and offering them advice walking down the road, sitting with them, dealing with them in the marketplace. Even when our Prophet was in Medina, he did business with Yahudis. Yes, you remember the Hadith, a Sahih Hadith? When a Yahudi, he came to the Messenger of the Prophet demanding a debt to be paid from the Prophet And he stood over the Prophet saying, Ya Muhammad, give me my money. See, the companions, they want to slap him. They want to take his head off. Because they feel he's insulting the Prophet so said, But what did the Prophet Sam say about that? He said, leave him. He has a hawk on me. He has a right over me. He don't have a right to curse him, or he don't have a right to insult him, but he has a right to demand from him. So the Prophet Sam was just very nice and calm, and he said to him, I don't have your money now. I cannot pay you right now. But if you be patient, he said, No, I'm not going to be patient. I want my money now. So Uthman ibn Afan I'm told the Prophet, Oh Messenger of the Allah, I have uh, uh, an orchard of big palms at the end of Medina. I will pay him with that. The Prophet said, If you want to get that reward, Bismillah. Then that Yahudi, what did he do? He said, No, I did not really come to seek my money. I wanted to see if you was really a prophet or not. For if you had allowed your followers to abuse me, then I know you are not a prophet. And if you would not allow them to abuse me because of my right, then I know you are a prophet. And then he said, Ashadu an la ilaha illallah wa ashadu anna Muhammadan Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi See, it's just the behavior of the prophet sallallahu alaihi And when our prophet sallam passed away. When he died He owed some money To a Jewish man So they took his armor That he used to wear for jihad And they sold it And paid the debt to that Yahudi man Can you imagine that? So this is part of the Sirah of the Prophet This is part of the Sunnah of the Prophet Don't forget that part How can we enhance or empower our communities? Some people will answer this by saying that we need to address and upgrade the institutions that deliver services, such as schools, hospitals, housing, etc. Some people will say that we need to improve the municipal infrastructure, such as the roads, the transportation, and social services. Others will say that we need to reduce taxes, crime, and unemployment. That's what you see the people saying. That's what people say. I say that all who say those things are right. However, I can remember the status of all of this 50 years ago. And 50 years ago, we were saying the same thing. That doesn't improve relationships necessarily. That doesn't help improve the community. The community is not improved because of the physical issues. The community is improved by the value of the people, how the people are able to interact. Brothers and sisters, I would almost guarantee you, we can't guarantee much, not even a minute, tomorrow, we can't guarantee, but I would assure you that if you make an assessment of your behavior, if we make an assessment of our behavior, if we take a different position with the non-Muslims, we clean up our personal act, we clean up our home, we clean our family, we clean up our neighborhood where we live at, we contribute something to the society like our Prophet did before he was commissioned as a prophet. When he was a young man, he belonged to a group, a group called Hilf al Fudul. Hilf al Fudul. This means a group that is dedicated to doing service for the society. So our Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi you know, when he was young, he was a shepherd. Our Prophet when he was a young man, he belonged to Hilf al Fudul social worker. Our prophet, when he was a young man, before he got married, he was a businessman. See that? Shepherd, social worker, businessman. All that prepared him to be a prophet. So if we want to follow the Sunnah, let us also do the same things. Let us take care of people in the society like a shepherd takes care of the sheep. Let us go through our neighborhood as we see bottles and cans and dirt in the street. We get the broom. We clean it. We don't wait for somebody else to do it. We do that. If you see snow and ice in front of your neighbor's door, you go and get that snow and ice out of the way, put some salt down because you know there's an old lady living over there or maybe they will be harmed. What they will feel about you then? Do business with them. Then they will do business with you. All of this is part of the Sunnah of the Prophet. Wa most certainly, telecommunication, fiber optics, international travel, medicine, media, and other forms of modern technology have brought many improvements and increased dimension to our lives. However, it has not significantly cont- contributed to a higher quality of life for most of us. This is because real enhancement and genuine empowerment. It is not achieved by material acquisitions and influence. On the contrary, today the level of technological and institutional progress of the Western civilization is unsurpassed by any country in the world. The Western world, from a material point of view, is out in the front. Yet, in every community, big or small, poverty level or upper class, we find chronic emotional, psychological, and social disorders that have reached uncontrollable proportions. If we make a pathological assessment, if we make a forensic assessment, we will discover at the root of our dilemma, four diseases eroding the very fiber of our community. Stress, anxiety, and confusion immorality and corruption, the burden of debt and overtaxation, spiritual deprivation and gross materialism. A wise man said, Allahumma inni a'udhu dhik min alhamni, wa huzdi wa a'udhu min min aljubni, wa albukhli wa a'udhu min al-ghalibah dinayni, wa qafir rijal. Allahumma qfeer bi halalika an al A wise man, the Prophet said, O Allah, I seek refuge in you from anxiety and grief, from lack of strength and laziness, from stinginess and from cowardice, from being overpowered by debt and from the oppression of men. O Allah, I ask you to suffice me with what is lawful, to keep me away from what is unlawful and make me free and make me independent. Of everyone and anyone other than you. According to our mother Aisha, she said, Never did the Messenger of Allah end his prayer but he made that dua. So we should make that dua also. These are diseases that interfere with our thinking, our sensitivities, our mutual respect for one another. And our sense of dignity and morality. Every society in history has that has allowed itself to develop this pathological path and characteristic found itself on the precipice of civilizational collapse and every community that fails to reform itself and restore its moral balance will suffer what we are suffering in our own communities. The Prophet ﷺ, Allah ﷺ he said in the Quran, قَدْ مَنْ وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ This is the rule. I say to you, brothers and sisters, that this country that you're living in, and my country, this society that you're living in, and also my society, and communities just like this one 50 years ago, they had no problem with prayer in the schools. They had no no problem in saying Almighty God. And even in my country, it was part of the American Constitution, the Pledge of Allegiance, to say one nation under God, indivisible with liberty and justice for all. That's what they used to say. But today, they don't say that anymore. In my country, You can't teach children about God inside the classroom. You can't even make a prayer in the classroom. If a teacher opens up the class with a prayer, they're going to fire him or her. We must ask ourselves, what is happening? What has happened to the mention of God at our dinner table? In fact, we have to ask ourselves, what's happened to the dinner table? Even in the Muslim world, we find in the Muslim world, 35% 35% or 40% of the Muslims, they don't even eat breakfast with their families anymore. They don't even eat dinner with their family anymore. Everybody stops at somewhere on the way and eats somewhere. You know, I mean, okay, you might be eating halal, donor, whatever you want to call it. You know, you might be eating, you understand me, in a Somali, you might be eating some uh, some busa. You know, you might be eating, I mean, it might be halal and all of that there, but you're not eating home with your family. Fathers and mothers are not getting up in the morning and praying together. Father go out and pray and he come back home and all the children and the mother, they're all together before the kids go to school, before he goes to work. It's not happening anymore. In fact, we lost the dinner tables and we lost the breakfast tables to McDonald's, Burger King, and Pizza Hut. In fact, today, most Muslims, when they invite each other to go have something to eat, Guess where they go? They go to a restaurant. I mean, the fact that the food is halal, that's good, beautiful. But why Muslims don't invite each other to each other's home? It's like this afternoon. When we left from here today, man, subhanAllah, I'm sorry, man, y'all didn't get what I got. Man, I had about the best Somali meal, man, I had like about five years. Why? Because some people said, Please invite the chef to our house and let him eat our food. Of course, alhamdulillah, since I'm married to a Somali sister, I've been eating that food all the time. Say, Allah, ah. Sorry, brothers. We must ask ourselves, what has happened to the ministry of God at our dinner table? In fact, where are the tables that families used to sit around? We have sacrificed the family for fast food. Fast money, fast life, fast sex, and fast pleasure. If you ask me, we have to bring God back to our home. We have to bring God back to our life, our communities, our family, and ourselves. And bringing God back means bringing the mentioning of scripture and morality back. A wise man, the Prophet said, take care of five things before five things. Take care of your youth before your old age. Take care of your health before your illness. Take care of your wealth before your poverty. Take care of your free time before you become busy. Take care of your life before your death. We have to call people back to God and scripture. We have to call ourselves back to morality and taqwa. We cannot give in to the immoral minority or the immoral majority. We cannot give in to complacency and frustration. We cannot justify being reactionary. Somebody insults us, we curse them. Somebody insults the Prophet, we want to burn down the the buildings. And somebody want to burn the Quran, we want to kill them. So where do you get that from? Where do you get that from? I mean, the Prophet gave us a beautiful example. When he went to Ta'if, and he had nobody to protect him, and he went looking for protection to Ta'if, a place about 42 miles from Mecca. He went there looking for protection. And when he went there, he could not even enter the town because the people from the town, they sent the bad, the worst people and the children to throw rocks at him and to spit at him and to insult him. And so, the Prophet was run out of town. And he sat down on a rock, blood running down his body. And he did not blame the people, he blamed himself. He thought perhaps that Allah had not, was not pleased with him, that his message was not effective. So while he was sitting in that situation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he sent Jibreel alayhi salam. And Jibreel said to him, O oh Prophet Wasallam, Allah, he gives salam to you. Can you imagine that? Allah, he gives special tahiyyat to the Prophet And he said, O oh, Prophet sallam, Allah ordered me that if you want, I will order the angels of these mountains to bring themselves together, bring these mountains together on those people who did that to you. So what did our Prophet sallam, he do? I mean, if it was me or you, what would we have done? And he said, yeah. Get them. Do them. Teach him a lesson. That's being reactionary. But our Prophet he was a visionary. And Allah said about him, وَمَا illa He was a mercy. So our Prophet he told Jibril no, I don't want that. I want Allah to spare them because perhaps in the future generations, some of them will become Muslims. SubhanAllah. See Ta'if today? Ta'if is one of the most beautiful cities in, in, in Saudi Arabia today. It is the place where all the flowers of the country, it comes from Ta'if today. And all the people of Ta'if today, they are Muslims, say SubhanAllah. subhanallah. So brothers and sisters, our Prophet ﷺ taught us from that to be tolerant, to be patient, not to be hard, not to be reactionary but to have a vision, because one day, you'll know how many of your neighbors, and your colleagues, and your co-workers and some of the worst of people, you know how many of them may become Muslims, or how so many of their children will become Muslims. We just have good behavior and be patient. We cannot give in to frustration and despair or reaction. We cannot ignore or procrastinate about our situation and circumstances. We Muslims have a responsibility to collaborate, cooperate with every good person and every good agency in order to preserve the integrity of the society. You and I need to become familiar with the Urf of the society, the Urf, the common good, what is known to be good in the society. Whatever is good and known to be good in the society that we also know is good, we cooperate with that. We recognize that. We collaborate with that. And we also adjust ourselves to the order of the society and not bring our own cultural baggage and put it in the middle of the path. Think about it, Muslims. If you go to a church... And, and, I mean, you might say to yourself, Shane, why would we be going to a church? Just to see how other people live and worship. You don't have to go to the church to do what they do. But you need to go and visit so that you can build a sensitivity towards these people. You want them to come to the masjid, but you don't never want to go to the church. If you invite them to the mosque, you don't think it's correct for them to invite you to their church? You don't have to go to their church and worship, and they don't have to come to the masjid and worship. It's called reciprocity. You know, it's called give and take. And one of the things that you'll recognize if you go to the churches here in your country, the churches are clean. It's right or wrong. I mean, you know, the Catholic churches, they might be having some problems with bringing children and leaving them there. (laughs) That's unfortunate. When you can't leave your children in the church, where are they going to be safe at? So it's like, you know, the chickens ain't that safe, you know. It's like the fox in the hen house. Well, in this case, it's like the fox in the chickadee house. Anyway, you'll go to the churches and you'll find the church is clean. They know where to put the shoes. They know where to put the coats. They don't have to arrange the Bibles. The kitchen is clean. The floor is clean. The windows are clean. They remove the snow and the ice, and the place is clean. I don't have to tell you about the masjids. We need to learn some lessons. Sometimes the masjids be looking like a boot camp. <laughs> You know, because we think to ourselves, so what? That's our masjid, man. We can just let it be like, no, it's not your masjid. Allah don't call it your masjid. In the masjid. Who? Who the masjid belong to? Who the masjid belong to? Allah. They belong to Allah. I don't care who paid for them. I don't care who built them. I don't care who occupies them. The masjid is a wakaf. It belongs to Allah. And what house deserves to be cleaned more and often? The church or the masjid? masjid. Masjid. So let's be truthful. We need to learn some lessons from the Hindus and the Buddhists and the Christians. Muslims, you go all around the world, and the Muslims, they haven't learned yet what to do with the shoes. I mean, just what to do with the shoes. The Sunnah of the Prophet said, Faith has over 70 branches. You heard this hadith, right? Faith has over 70 branches. The smallest of which is removing an other from the tariq. The smallest of which is removing something harmful from the path. So, aren't the shoes on steps and piled up outside the door of that mosque? Isn't that harmful? I'm asking. I'm asking. You don't hear me? Or you don't want to admit? Are the shoes piled up in front of the doorway of the mosque, is that harmful or not? And not only is it harmful, but it's against the law. It's a fire hazard. It's a health hazard. And technically, the fire marshal. Can come to that mosque while you are praying and take a picture of that and shut your masjid down, but they don't because they don't really want to aggravate the Muslims. So one of the things that all of us can do, if we really want to do something, when we go to the masjid, you know, wait till all the Muslims go inside and they're already inside, you know, praying, right? Put all the shoes up on them. Put them all nice. Put them all nice. When they come outside, they're going to be looking around for where their shoes is at. They can't find the shoes. Then the young boys and the young girls just tell them, say, Baba, the shoes are over there. They be like, they don't want to say thank you. You know, be like, who told you to put them over there? Who told you, don't be touching my shoes? So, okay, if they do that, the next time, get a big box that's about that tall. And all the people that put their shoes in front of the masjid, in front of the doorway, just put them all inside that box. (laughs) So when they come outside and they look around for their shoes, you can tell them they're all inside that box. Then they're gonna have a real attitude because they can't get to them because the box is too tall. (laughs) Teach the people what to do with the shoes. The masjid that you pray in, they don't have no shelves, build shelves. If they got shelves, when you come to the masjid, pick up the shoes and put them on the shelf until gradually, gradually, we teach the Muslims behavior, which is part of the Sunnah of the Prophet. laws then. Young brothers and sisters, if you want to influence the masjid, come to the masjid on Saturday and Sunday, like Fajr time. Pray Fajr. And after all the old people leave, you guys stay. And get some disinfectant. Vacuum the rugs clean the toilets, clean the sidewalks, wash the windows, shampoo the rugs. You know, when they come back for door time, they'll be like, man, who did that? So the young people did that. See, then when the young people want to have an activity at the mosque, what the OG's gonna say now? OG's, you know, old guys and girls? <laughs> old generation? <laughs> old gangsters. <laughs> so what are they going to say now? The young people are the ones cleaning the mosque. The young people is showing their respect and their love for the house of Allah and for their parents by cleaning the house of Allah. So we can all cooperate and do something and make things better. Then, you will be proud to invi- invite the non-Muslims to come to the mass or Muslims, for us enjoying the right and forbidding the wrong, Amr bil Ma'ruf Al Nahid al-Munkar is a fundamental part of our social responsibility. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, Kuntum Khayra. Ummatan Uhrid al-Nasma bil ma'ruf at Hamun al-Munkar who took me. You you all read this ayah before? He said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, you are kuntum khayra. You are the best ummah. That means from the beginning until now, we are the best ummah. l linaas <laughs> extracted out of humanity. Why? Because you order what is right. You command what is right. Amrul ma'roof does not mean enjoining the right. It means commanding what is right. And to command something, you've got to have influence. To command something, you have to have some power. To command something, you have to have some leverage. And Allah, he wanted Muslims to be in a position to command. He wanted us to be in a position to have leverage. He wanted us to be in a position to have influence. That's why the Prophet preferred for us men and women to do business as opposed to working for other people. As long as you work for other people, you're not going to gain much leverage. It's good for you to work and earn halal sustenance. But Muslims should know that it is preferred for every Muslim and woman to do business. Now, how you select business, how you do business, that's up to you. Sisters should do business basically from their home. Where they don't have to get on buses and trains, and highways, and be mixing and compromising themselves to be dealing with other men. Sisters can do services from their home. Men, do business. Then you will have customers, male or female, Muslim, non-Muslim, and through doing business, people will learn what kind of person that you are. Because when you do business with people, just like a doctor, you have conversation with them, don't you? You have interaction with them. You see, they come to know your behavior, your conduct, how fair you are. They discuss different issues with you. And so it's better for a Muslim to do business, I don't care what kind of service, I don't care what kind of school, what kind of degree you have, still do business. We should ask ourselves a few few questions. What is a community? Is it a neighborhood? No, a community is an organized group of people that have institutions, and they recognize some kind of authority, they have some kind of leadership. Umar al-Khattab, he said, there is no Islam without jama'ah. He don't mean there's no Qur'an, no Sunnah. He meant that there is no way for the people to see evidence of the Qur'an and the Sunnah, except when there is a jama'ah. And no jama'ah without an amir, a leader, an authority and no leader unless you obey. This is a community. How does the Islamic community interact with other communities? Through their behavior, through their goods, and through their resources. How does the different components of the Islamic community identify and interact with each other in the same way that we pray, with discipline, with discipline, with respect, with dignity, with competition. Race compete with each other in goodness. How are decisions reached in an Islamic community? Through Shura. And when the Muslims gather together in Shura, how do they reach the final decision? They reach the final decision by leaving the final decision to the Amir. That's our way. We have the right to talk and counsel and suggest, but at the end, فَتَوَقَّلُوا عَلَى اللَّهِ This is what Allah told the Prophet and that is he has the right of veto. And so the Amir in our community, the Wali al Amr in our community, he can listen to everybody and whatever idea they have, but at the end, it doesn't go by the vote of a majority. At the end, the Amir makes our decision, and we all accept and comply with that decision. <clears throat> There's a lot of challenges facing the Islamic community. Some of us are minorities, and also the Islamic communities in the Muslim world—they also got lots of challenges. And you can see, just in the past two years, you can see some of the problems that the Muslims have in their own countries. And we can see the problems that Muslims have as minorities living in the Western world. So we all have some unique challenges. As a government or as a global entity. But we have assets and we have liabilities. And through those assets, we produce products and services. And the liabilities that we have, we have patience. We have subord. We have discipline. And we should work to cultivate and we should work to participate in the Islamic community. Because one scholar, he said, Al that the future, the future of this world belongs to Islam. The future of this world belongs to Islam. I didn't say it belongs to the Muslims. No, this world is under the authority of Allah. Allah. <laughs> And Allah has promised us in the Qur'an, هُوَ الَّذِي أَرْسَلَ رَسُولَهُ وَدِينُ الْحَقِّ لِيُذْهِرَهُ عَلَى الْدِينِ وَلَوْ الْكَافِرُونَ وَلَوْ الْمُشْرِكُونَ وَلَوْ It is He, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who sent His Prophet SAW 1500 years ago with the Hudah, the Qur'an islam In order that it may prevail over every kind of system, even though the unbelievers were detested, even though the mushrikeen, the idol worshippers were detested, and even though the monopics, the hypocrites among the Muslims were detested. There's a serious, depressing, and very obvious void in our lives as Muslims living in a technologically advanced country like this one and like my country, with tremendous institutional resources. Yet, we Muslims choose to live as individuals, wrapped up in various religious cultural expressions that we call Islamic centers. We Muslims must think about our place, race, culture, and religion. We must think about and be genuinely concerned (laughs) And working for positive change in our society. We have to be involved and committed to social activism. <coughs> Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he said in the Quran, muhsinin." So you said it translates. So do good. Verily Allah he loves those who do good. But there's another way to translate this here. In the khutbah al jumah every week. When the imam is about ready to finish His talk In the second standing He makes a dua And we all say Ameen, Ameen, Ameen After he finishes his dua He says إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَأْمَرُمْ بِالْغَدْرِ وَالْإِحْسَانِ وَإِنْهَائِذُ الْقُرْبَ وَيَنْهَى عَنَ الْفَحْشَاءِ wal وَالْبَغِيِ He says that And we're not thinking about what he says, because we think, when he says that, he's getting ready to pray. We start getting ready, you know, we start getting ready for the prayer. We start standing up and moving. But you should think about that ayah, because this is a social order. Verily, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has ordered you, upon justice, for everyone, and benevolence. Benevolence means... Being able to spend out of what you have for other people, having the tawakkul and the knowledge that Allah is going to reward you, and He's going to replace what you're giving. And people come to know that Muslims they are benevolent. The Creator, He said, bil Ma'roof. Allah says. And let you become an ummah inviting towards khayr. What does it mean, Khayr. Khayr means goodness in the society. Goodness that comes from your behavior. Goodness that comes from your thinking. Goodness that comes from your goods and services. Goodness that comes from the contribution and the investment that you make in the society. And that you are ordering what is good and forbidding what is evil. As Muslims, we must provide the example of good morals and a source of guidance and inspiration to address the problems of our society. The Prophet said, Verily, I have been raised to perfect good manners. So the Sunnah of the Prophet is based upon good manners. It's not based upon the outside dress, how you cut your toe, how you cut your litya. How you wear your your, your niqab or your, your hijab and how you wear your pants and you know whether you got a miswak or you're using a toothbrush or you're using some enter or all this is beautiful. But that's the outside. <laughs> you know, there's some brothers, I mean, they shave their beard. And that's not good. That's not good. But some of the brothers who shave their beard. They wear the beard on their heart. They good brothers. They make sadaqah. They're always available to help spin. and spend. There's other brothers, they got the beard, they got the kufi, they got the thobe, they got the miswak, man, they got everything, man. you look at him and say, Wow, that brother, he's similar down. <laughs> but then his behavior is bad. Last one to give. Last one to give the salams. Last one to give any kind of help. We need both of them. We need both. But they should both learn something from each other. Same thing goes for the sisters. It's not just enough, sister, for you to be wearing gloves and the niqab, you know what I mean? And you got all the hookup, man. You can see, man, man essence, man, she hooked up. Man, sha. We love. For me, when I see the niqabi sisters in the Western world, I said, man, you go, girl. <laughs> wow, man. Come on, a sister niqabi. She got that kind of heart like that with all these haters out here and she wearing niqab as a representative of us? We got to make du'a for that sister, man. But that's not the end of it because there's a lot of good sisters. They didn't even get to the hijab stage yet. They still struggling, but they're good sisters. We gotta honor them, we gotta respect them, we gotta tolerate them, give them good nasihah. We Muslims cannot justify stinginess, selfishness, and prejudice against anybody. We speak about what we believe is wrong. We have the right to do that. I mean the campus, they've been talking all kind of crazy stuff about us. Calling us fanatics and terrorists and extremists and they got all kinds of words for us, man. They got about seven or eight different words for Muslims. So when they be doing stuff that Allah said don't do, we got a right to speak about that too. It's like men marrying men and women marrying women. They don't like me to talk about it. I don't care. I'm saying it's wrong because animals don't do that. <laughs> I ain't going to call them what I'm not supposed to call them. You feel know I me? Mean? You know, but I'm going to tell my children, you know what I'm saying? If uh, if people be walking their dogs, man, you know what I mean? The dogs be like, you know, dropping stuff all over the place and urinating all over the place. I'm telling my kids, man, watch out for the dogs. We can't shoot the dog. And we can't shoot the owner of the dog. We got to be tolerant. But I'm be telling my kids. Watch out for the dogs. No one will be convinced of the beauty of Islam when the conduct of Muslims are ugly. Although we Muslims believe that Islam is the very best proposition for this society and the world, we have to convince the people with our own behavior. We have to lead with our character because the fruit will always fall close to the tree. For the non-Muslims who are present, or who may hear this talk, put the best construction on it. Don't be hating. I want to say that you must be genuinely concerned about the overall condition of your society. You have to be. You must not be complacent about your own aim in life. You should read and research every aspect of your life and your chosen system of life. You might be a Christian, you might be a Hindu, you might be a Meist, you may be a Theist, Atheist, or Meist, or something, a deist. <laughs> you might be anything, but basically as a human being, you may not have really decided upon any religion or system of life. You should try to determine if the system of life that you belong to, the religion that you belong to, whether it is fulfilling to you and your family. You should be clear and you should be sincere and ask yourself, does your religion and your system of life answer the basic question, what is the purpose of our lives? This has to be one of the most critical questions for you and for me and for the society and the world. In fact, there's no greater question than to determine what is the purpose of our lives. We Muslims, we believe that the Qur'an the inspiration, the revelation, and the legislation from Almighty God revealed to the Prophet Muhammad sallam, who is the most profound human being in the history of mankind. We believe that the Quran and we believe that the life of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu has outlined and defined the purpose of human life in this universe and given Islam as a system to facilitate that divine purpose. So I want to appeal to your hearts, to your conscience, to your common sense, I would like to invite any non-Muslim who has been thinking about Islam, reading about Islam. I would like them to invite them to consider, examine, or to embrace Islam. Are there any non-Muslims here tonight? Any non-Muslims? There's one. Any other non-Muslims here? Two. Any other non-Muslims here? You see, this is indicative of our situation. We Muslims, man, we so righteous that we cannot invite a non-Muslim to come hear what we got to say. They be inviting us to everything. I mean everything. Take off some of your shirts and even the sisters, take off some of the stuff they got when they get home and see the jeans they got on, see the shoes they got on, see the shirts they got on, what names they got on them. See the bags that they got, what names they got on them. See the brothers, you know, what kind of training suits they got on, whose name is on them. We got names on everything we wearing, and they ain't our names. don't be saying like Abu Bakr or Medina or Mecca. Be like Tommy Hilfiger, man, or Christian Dior, some crazy stuff like that. So they be inviting us, but we can't invite them. I mean, 200, 300 Muslims come together, and you didn't think about on the way invite a non-Muslim, I mean, you should bribe them to come. Tell them, to say, listen, I'm going to this lecture. It's going to be deep. As a matter of fact, if you come, I'm going to drive you there and drive you back home, and I'm going to give you dinner. I'm going to hit you off, you know what with 50 kroners. <laughs> on top of that, they be saying, Really? <laughs> they'd be ready to go. <laughs> so when they come, they can hear, they can see, they can smell Islam. They might make a choice to become Muslim. And if they don't become Muslim, they might become an ally. Because it's not on us to guide, it's on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide. It's so okay.
1: طويل الشوق يبقى في فقير في الحياة من الصحابي ومن يأمنك يا دنيا الدواهي تدوسين المصاحب في الترابي وأعجب من مريدك وهو يدري بأنك في الورى أم العجاب ولولا أن لي معنا جميلا لبعت المكس فيها بالثاب الشوق يبقى في اغتراب في الحياة من الصحابي ومن يأمنك يا دنيا الدواهي تدوسين المصاحب في الترابي وأعجب من مريدك وهو يدري بأنك في الوراء أم العجابي لولا ان لي معنا جميلا لبعت المكثفين بالذهب رايت الله في الكون ربا جميع الكائنات له تحابي شواهد انه فرد جليل لا رب المجادل بالكلاب رايت الله في الكون ربا جميع الكائنات له تحاب شواهد الرحمن ينظر سيهديك التأمل للصواب ومدى الطرف في كل النواحي سؤالك سوف, سوف يرجع بالجواب فقيل الشوق يبقى في اغتراب الحياة من الصحابي ومن يأمنك يا دنيا الدواهي تدوسين المصاحب في التراب وأعجب من مريدك وهو يدري بأنك في وراءهم أم العجابي تفيعات المكس فيها بالذهاب من ظلال الأرض فينا ولا تغتر يوما بالسراب وقف فوق الأمور فرب الجرع ستحمدها وتأوي ستحمدها وتهوي بالإياب وردت لومة القرآن تلقى يباعدك الثواب عن العقاب وتابع مرسلا هاد حكيما أشعة حكمة من كل باب ومن يأمنك يا دنيا الدواهي تدوسين المصاحب في التراب وأعجب من مريدك وهو يدري بأنك في الوراء